0: Is it time to buy cyclical stocks? At least one analyst thinks so. You're in the right place, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Monday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen, back in the house. We're back. Back in the house for, for Monday today. It's been it's so long. long. It has. It just seems like it's been forever. Do I forever. look older? You look taller? You look a lot older. A no bit. taller. No taller. Way better looking, though. Thank than, you. Than, than the last time we were better here. With age. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to celebrate the fact that we're back in the house, David. I'm going to give you a chance to, to make up for all of the bad sports predictions you've made. The World Cup is coming up. Who's winning the World Cup? David Hansen. I'm
1: going to go with France. <laughs> you're going to go
0: with France?
1: I don't know are anything you, about it. Are you trying to? You, no, not France. I'm taking it back. Throw it away. Uh, let's go it's in the Bra- Bra- USA. It's in Brazil. Let's go USA. Brazil
0: is the fourth ranked team in the country, and you're going with USA. USA may not make it out of their group, let alone win the whole thing.
1: You're, you're going a, with USA. You're such a German now. You're going with...
0: Okay. All right. First headline of the day after that terrible prediction. From the Wall Street Journal, buy cyclical stocks before everyone else does. From B of A Merrill. Hansen, you rushing to buy?
1: Just all cyclical <laughs> stocks in
0: general? Well, in, in the article, this is, this is a, a call by B of A Merrill Lynch's equity strategist. Yep. Uh, she mentions in particular... Uh, By the way, it is she. I want to emphasize that it's she. We've had some women listeners write to us. We've got a lot of women listeners on this show. And and I I think it's great to to point out that there are women in this industry, at the very top of this industry. I'd like to see a lot more. I think women are better investors than men in a lot of cases. Yeah,
1: Bank of America's equity group has a fair amount of women in there. There you go. Anyway, uh, she, she cites consumer
0: finance plus some tech, media, autos, industrial conglomerates. Uh, My question would be, why not just broader finance? I mean, the entire financial sector, for the most part, Mm -hmm. is very cyclical. The banks are cyclical. Insurance stocks are cyclical in kind of a different way, not as much with the economy, a little bit, but banks definitely cyclical. So they're saying
1: cyclical based on how it moves with GDP rather than being independent new innovations in an industry. Exactly. What What do you think she meant by consumer finance? What where does that fall? Well,
0: no. American Express okay. would certainly so thinking be in that's, there. That's what she used. Yeah. There. Okay. Discover, one of my favorites, would would be in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean I mean credit cards broadly Visa and Mastercard.
1: Um, although I don't know that I'd really call them cyclical, Visa and Mastercard at least. Well, kind of when you think of consumer spending with GDP such being such yeah, a big part of it. But but would you really
0: they wouldn't have the the same cyclicality as uh, Discover or American Express mm-hmm. because they actually hold loans. So when people start defaulting on loans uh, in, a, in a downswing uh, or not defaulting on loans mm-hmm. as the case may be in an upswing, I just think that Visa and MasterCard are way more of a cyclical... Cyclical? cyclical. Secular. Cyclical? Secular. Okay. They're a secular story. American Express and Discover are more of a cyclical story. Anyway, the, I think the big picture he, here is that I'm not crazy about the time-the-buy kind of call here. Mm-hmm. Buy cyclicals before everybody else does. Like, this is a, a timing thing. However, I, I kind of agree with the foundation of it that the a lot of cyclical stocks, and in particular banks and we'll say consumer finance, although American Express, I've said, doesn't look too... You have value oriented. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, there, there are a lot of I, I think there's still a lot of value in, in those areas. We've heard a lot of people talk about a lot of places in the market that are overheated. Some cyclicals, not as much. Second
1: headline. More cyclicality. <laughs> fixed income market Well, so you say is permanently shrunk. This is from MarketWatch here and they're quoting uh, an analyst, I think it was from RBC, that was saying fixed income trading at at the big banks is it's never getting back to the glory days. 2010, never going to see those revenues again.
0: 2010?
1: They said the reasons are increased regulation, and I can buy that to some extent. There has been moved more regulation in the space. You have to hold more capital as part of the trading business. But the other big point they make is well, interest rates are just a lot more stable now. Yeah. Permanently shrunk. Interest rates can be permanently, permanently stable. low. That's no, no more volatility in it. And rates. we've seen this article in tons of publications. Everybody's saying this sounds income. like
0: exactly the kind of thing that people say during the downswing
1: of any cyclical. It's business. forever.
0: It's gone. It's gone.
1: I, I all of these articles are only looking out one to two years, which I understand permanently that that's not gone permanent. for one to two years. That, that's what
0: I'm saying. It's permanently gone for
1: one to two. I years, would, I would love to see an Don't analyst get it? put his name down saying that fixed income trading for the next 15 years will never get back to where it was in 2010. I think that's a little ridiculous. Nobody will care later. That's why, that's why it's so great
0: to be able to make these kind of predictions because nobody cares. If you're right, they'll care. And mm-hmm. you'll be able to say, oh, look at this thing that I wrote that time. Mm-hmm. And I said it. And everybody will say, oh, you're brilliant. You're a genius. But if they're wrong, they're just going to go back. Nobody, nobody does
1: that kind of mm-hmm. digging. It's just People just say stuff. And we just talked about cyclicality. This is, we've, this is a cyclical business. We know it is. So to say that it's gone and that Goldman Sachs is never going to be a good bank anymore because they rely on fixed income trading is ridiculous. Well, and, and, and in
0: fact, you've got... It's possible, it, but it's... In the article, always, talked it's, it's about coming. UBS, Credit Suisse, and Barclays all actually cutting back on their FIC exposure. So, so I think, if anything, this presents opportunity for banks like, like Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. that are sticking with it. Citigroup? Citigroup, mm-hmm. that are sticking with it. So, so I think there's, there's opportunity. And even if some part of the pie disappears, if you've got people, if you've got companies moving out of that part of it, it opens up opportunity that you can make, you know, some of these banks can make the same amount of money even if the overall pie is. And, and I think the pie could shrink. Yeah. The, the, the regulation could do that. But, uh, but then you've got, on the other side of that, global growth, which is going to c- create more wealth, have more of this trading that needs to go on. So. I mean, if you're going to call yourself so. a
1: contrarian and everybody's saying that fixed income trading is never going to come back, banks are leaving the space. The contrarian position would be, hey, maybe that's not going to happen. Right.
0: Third and final headline. This one comes from, what was the name of this? Payment Source? Payment Source. 11 clues to Apple's plan for payments. David, on a scale of 1 to 2, how unsurprised would you be if Apple announced a payments business? How scale, unsurprised?
1: On a scale of 1 to 2. I'm just going to go how 1. How
0: unsurprised?
1: I'm just going to go That's 1. That's pretty unsurprised. Is 0 being the low end? No. no. It's only 1 or 2. Those are All your
0: choices. Right. I mean, you can go with like a 1.5 or a 1.6. I actually would be surprised. You would, you would be surprised? Yes. Why? <laughs> after Maybe, I don't this, know. After reading this article? After after looking through this slideshow. Okay, no, okay. Maybe I would not be surprised. 800 million iTunes accounts, many of them with credit cards. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a plug and play thing for them.
1: Yeah, so we have the Apple Developers Conference, is that what they call it? Worldwide Developers Conference going on this week. A lot of anticipation. What are they going to release? Maybe it's a payments technology. And to me, it's, yes, that makes There's sense. There's going to be NFC in the iPhone. It, it's, yes, it's possible. It's going to be that capability. But if you're an investor in Apple or just interested in the payment space, is that really going to move the needle for Apple with the payments business? Margins are so okay, thin.
0: So, okay, so that's, that is a good point. That's a good point that if you're looking at apple this this isn't a reason to say i'm going to buy apple no. because this is going to be a game changer for apple what i think it's potentially a game changer for is the payments business so look at the other companies in the payments business and this shifts the land this would i should say this would shift the landscape considerably um, I, I, you know, If you look at Google, who's also making moves in the payment space, I don't think you suddenly say, well, Google's going to get crushed by it, but this isn't going to be a game changer for Google either. I think generally speaking, though, this is just a bigger picture good for the evolution of how we pay for mm-hmm. things. And I was actually, uh, Patrick Morris, uh, one, of our, one of the full writers and I, went to uh, a payments uh, Transact 14, yeah. a payments uh, conference back in April. And I talked with uh, Jason Oxman. who who runs the the company that puts that on. And and I said to him, I said, this is so fragmented. There are so many companies. What's going to happen? And he said, this is a good thing that there are so many companies working on this because that's going to create the change
1: that's going to move the industry forward. I get more excited as a consumer rather than an investor in this Yes, I I think that's true. Margins are just going to be very, very small.
0: Probably. Yes. But overall, you've got just a giant company there with Apple. All right, moving on to the focus for today. Uh, I've talked in past shows about my nine-point nine, nine point checklist that I go through to evaluate companies. Um, I, I did a little follow-up work. I did some additional work with that, with J.P. Morgan and Citigroup uh, over the past week. Let's hear it. And what I came up with is that J.P. Morgan, while I like the opportunity for many reasons, just doesn't stack up that well when you really look at some of the some of the softer sides of uh, of the equation. So, particularly when when we're looking at it versus Citigroup, a couple of the areas where I thought Citigroup edged out J.P. Morgan was uh, management, and we can we'll talk a little bit a l- little bit more about these. Uh, actually, uh, the market, the addressable market, management, um, cap uh, compensation structure, hmm. and communication of vision and strategy. So. On market, I think that Citigroup has, is already on the ground around the world. I mean, that is Citigroup's business. It's the global business. So I think there's a, in terms of the, the growth of the, of the key markets, the prime markets that it serves, and the opportunity for it to expand in those markets,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, I think Citigroup's opportunity is better than JP Morgan's. I think that's fair. Um, management. So over at JP Morgan, you've got Jamie Dimon there. He's been, there, he's been there a while. Um, I think he's very dedicated to J.P. Morgan. He said that he's going to stick around a few more years. Problem is, behind Diamond, it's been a very shifting landscape. I think there's talent there. Um, and was it, his first name Matt? Mm-hmm. Matt Zames? Mm-hmm. Uh, Zames is still there. But he hasn't been at J.P. Morgan, if memory serves, he hasn't been at J.P. Morgan all that long. Mm-hmm. And you, you had some, some other talent leaving JP Morgan, so you've got a lot of shifting sand behind Jamie Dimon, whereas at Citigroup, you did have that, that tussle for a few years where you went Chuck Prince, Vikram Pandit, and then Mike Corbat, but now you've got Mike Corbat there, who I think is well positioned to be the CEO for a good long period of time, and behind Corbat, I think you've got a much, a stronger, steadier team than I think what we'll see at JP Morgan,
1: um, that's that's my take there. I, I will say I I agree with you on on Corbett. If he does not get the job done and he gets ousted in a couple of years or whatever happens, at that point I would say, is there any hope for Citigroup? If, if there's anyone boring enough to turn this into a good profitable <laughs> bank, I think it's Mike Corbett. And if he can't get it done. That would be a big question mark for me. Boring. I'm not saying he's boring, not boring
0: done. I don't think, does him justice, though, because sure, he is boring. Conservative. Let me bo- say conservative. But he's also focused. He's also focused. He, 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 he has laid out a plan. I mean, some of that carries over the plan that Citigroup had under Vikram Pandit. Mm-hmm. But I think he's more focused and more communicative about here's what we're doing, here's exactly what we're addressing at this bank. Um, compensation structure. I, I, I think Citigroup has done a really good job. Structuring how it pays Corbett and the other named executive officers, um, making that very performance based, making it long term, largely contingent on long term. Comparatively, JP Morgan's is much more, we're just going to kind of see how these executives perform and we're going to pay them based on that. And that the, that J.P. Morgan system can be a system that works out and it can be fine for shareholders, but it's a very trust-based system. You have to That has to be at a company where you have the utmost trust in management True. and the board of directors. I don't know that we can say that we have that at J.P. Morgan to be able to really be supportive of that kind of a compensation structure. So again, edge to Citigroup there um, in terms of compensation structure. And finally communication on vision and strategy. This one, this is really important to me. This surprised I, me, your conclusions here.
1: Continue, though.
0: Well, I, I like a company that not only knows what they're doing and where they're going, but is really good at communicating that to investors as well. Uh, Citigroup does a really good job of that. They say, here are the markets that we're going after. Here's the opportunity we're going after. Here's how we're addressing that. J.P. Morgan, on the other hand... Don't worry about it. We got it. Yeah, i i I look through I look through the Diamond's annual letter, through the annual report, and you get a very good sense of the what. You, you have a cl- very clear picture of the what J.P. Morgan does, but not as much the why they do it or or what they're what they're trying to build here. Um, and and I think that that's very important. I, I've said time and again how I look at Wells Fargo and that their vision. That's not even strategy. Most companies don't mm-hmm. talk vision. They talk strategy. Wells Fargo has a vision. And I don't know, call me crazy, but I think that's one of the things that differentiated Wells Fargo from the other big banks going into and through the
1: financial crisis. Citigroup,
0: much better at communicating its strategy than J.P. Morgan.
1: So can we throw those rankings back up? What did you have for the communication on the clear,
0: clear vision?
1: I gave a zero to J.P. Morgan. gave a zero for J.P. Morgan and a 075 for Citigroup there Possibly one Okay, that's the communication of the vision And I, we ha, you have it down here Be the leader provider of financial service To the largest multinational corporations Affluent customers Yes, that sounds good The vision is clearly communicated But where in your equation is the execution of the vision Which hasn't necessarily been there And you could argue How long, uh, he's, longer, he's been CEO for two years so you're, so you're more buying Mike Corbett than Citigroup In that situation In the communication part
0: the uh, the communication is 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 a is a broader company thing i mean it's not mike corbat uh, writing that in there saying he, he's not writing the entire annual report
1: i'm just saying to give j p morgan a zero i, I don't
0: know do, do you know what makes what makes would you J.P. rather morgan have communi- Do you, you know what j p morgan makes j p morgan tick like the why the man or the company? why why do people get up in the morning to go to work at j p morgan to make money, to make money for shareholders,
1: to to yes, they don't do clearly they, they don't clearly <laughs> to, to say do it in their annual report. But I'm just saying to to give them a zero instead of the execution on on that vision historically for Citigroup's ex- execution on they've had the same vision for a while basically. Uh-huh. I mean maybe they're presenting more clearly now, but they haven't done it yet. Uh, J.P. Morgan has been My argument race. would be
0: that when you communicate, when a company communicates, is able to communicate their strategy and put that front and center, that makes a big difference in their ability and in their focus on executing it. That's my argument. And, okay. and, and you can take issue with that, and that's fine. Um, but you're right. <laughs> there is if there's, if there's a severe disconnect between what you say you're going to do and what you actually do, that's a problem. Okay. But my argument would be is that in the past, they weren't as good about saying... Here is what the entire company is focused on. All right.
1: You know what this leads to? Rank it. We should rank it. Rank
0: it. Uh, we're heading back to the big banks. We're doing big banks, the big four plus Goldman. Um, and I've actually, I've run through that, I've rerun through that nine points checklist for all of these. So my rankings are based on that, but I'll let you go first.
1: That's right. See, see, how,
0: see how wrong you are.
1: Save, save the best <laughs> for First. And again, these, these, rankings, <laughs> these rankings aren't opposed to best being buying it, worst being staying away forever. It's just all relative here. So I have, I have J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup, number five. Again, so, I don't so hate Citigroup. Going, so
0: you're going J.P. Morgan, number one. Yes. Okay. So, so now that we just had that, that last discussion, what's your, what's your argument for J.P. Morgan, number one, not just better than Citigroup? But your number one buying opportunity. One of
1: the things that you don't have on here Mm -hmm. is profitability and return on the capital that it holds. Plus, the I mean, you have the price. That's just one of your nine there. I like your list. Mm -hmm. I really do. I may steal some of your list here. (laughs) But in terms of the opportunity versus the returns that the bank can generate going forward, I think that is still the most attractive scenario of the big banks. Bank of America... Is close to getting there, I think, in mm-hmm. terms of the price and the returns that they can generate. That's why they're m- my number two. Citigroup, the price looks good, but I'm just not sure the returns are going to be there consistently over the next five to ten years. And okay. that's my big question. Mark Wells Fargo, the returns are there. Price, not it quite in the sweet spot. And then Goldman Sachs, kind of in the middle ground there, my number three. What do you and, got? And
0: to, quickly, to, to your point, I have, a, I have like three or four points potentially to add to that checklist. One of them is proven returns and execution so may, maybe i do need to add that in there as a balance towards the communication of strategy versus the actual execution of the business you do we could talk about that off camera my rankings coming up number one wells fargo number two goldman sachs number three citigroup number four bank of america and number five jp morgan goldman sachs number two explain yourself what do you mean I was, to explain I myself th- i thought that was going to be your number five why why do, why would you assume that'd be number five
1: I don't know. Just from what I've heard from you,
0: no, I, I, I am a big. I'm actually a big fan of Goldman. I, I think that, um, I think that there's a very strong competitive advantage there. I think you've got a, a really great management team there. Um, I. Again, to, to the point on, on J.P. Morgan, not great about communicating why they're there, except they're, even they're better than J.P. Morgan because they talk about client focus and how they're there yep. to serve their clients. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm a very big fan of, of Goldman Sachs, and you know, I, I could potentially even bump them ahead of Wells Fargo at some point. Wow. There you go. All right, All right we've got a second game, a bonus game today, uh, a little fool in the blank uh, let's get the 1st fool in full-in-the-blank up there. First one, a basket of four bank stocks with assets between $50 billion and $300 billion will blank the big four over the next 10 years. David, fool in that blank and try
1: not to be too dirty with your answer. I'm going to say underperform the big four. Interesting. So the top range of that, the, the biggest bank you could have in there is Capital One, lowest Maybe roughly Huntington, Huntington? Is that around 50? So that's the range of banks we're talking okay. about here. PNC, out of the mix. They don't, they're don't. they too big. So I'm saying they are going to underperform. I just said in the Rank It seg- segment, it's all relative. I think they're all decent stocks today.
0: Okay, I'm going I'm to stop you I'm right there because say, I'm saying outperform.
1: You're going to say outperform. Yeah, I was looking for a
0: different word, but outperform fits the best. Outperform, yes, I think there is... I think not only is there opportunity in the big banks, investment opportunity in the big banks, but it's just such an easy opportunity. It's obvious to me. It's obvious. It seems obvious. But in the smaller banks, over a 10-year period, so so a lot of the advantage of the big banks is in the valuations. For the smaller banks, there's in some cases a valuation opportunity, but then there's also the growth. Because the big banks, most of them, Citigroup accepted, Mm -hmm. and, and Goldman Sachs, you're not including that in the big four, not as much growth opportunity because they're limited in the ways they can grow in the U.S. So I think over a 10-year period, the longer you make that period, the more advantage you give to the
1: to the uh, smaller banks. All right, that's fair. Second one. Second scenario. There is a blank percent chance annually capital management is liquidated within the next 10 years. And let me jump right on this and say, we're not saying that it's going to be liquidated or anything. We're just saying, what's the chance that this happens over the next 10 years? <laughs>
0: About, 5%.
1: 5%. 5%. I'm going to say
0: 6%.
1: Why? Just to, just to one-up you on Why are you now. going to one-up me? So,
0: so why wh- – give some background on this. Give the brief background on
1: this. Brief background. Uh, stock is trading below book value. Some could argue, well, what if you just liquidated it and got book value for it today? Shareholders would make money in that scenario. And we added an article up from Jordan Wathen who's saying, well, now that they're buying commercial real estate – that's a more illiquid asset. It's mm-hmm. harder to unwind. If there ever was an event where shareholders wanted to say, hey, we want to liquidate, or we want to force liquidation here, having those illiquid assets makes it a little bit tougher for Annaly to get there. Uh, but I don't think it's very likely that we would reach that. I'd
0: say, I'd say 5% is on the higher end of what I think. It, what, I, what I was going for there is that it's non-zero, but that it's not exceptionally large. Why would you want to liquidate it? Because the story here, if you're investing in Annaly, is that you like the management team. Uh, you believe Wellington Denahan and the, the other investors at Annaly know what they're doing, are able to exploit that market. They're able to use their banking relationships. I mean, that's important. I think that may be overlooked sometimes in the analysis of these. The banking relationships to get the repo financing that mm-hmm. they get to fund these companies, um, you're, you're betting on that. Being value creating over the long term not, It's not just a play of Are you getting book value or below book yep. value Today, it's what can this team do over time
1: No, I agree, and uh, you wouldn't buy hoping For a liquidation I, 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 The scenario would be, maybe you bought today At a 10-15% discount And it trades down to a 40% discount Because of something that happens with mm-hmm. the company In order to recover your investment, you may want to Force liquidation maybe. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but It's a I don't possible think will. scenario it, it's,
0: non, it's non-zero it's non-zero Non-zero Alright, third and final Fool in the blank We've got I'd like to see blank By my favorite sports team I'm assuming this is Inspired by The, uh, the Clippers sale David Fool in that blank Walter White From Breaking Whoa that's, that's an Fictional interesting Fictional characters call. allowed You didn't say that You didn't specify that to me You can think of a fr- uh, yeah, Mine's better anyway Okay, go for it Dennis Rodman
1: Dennis Rodman <laughs> <laughs> Yes Wow, Dennis Rodman would be any promos. sports franchise better. Yeah. Maybe he'll buy a North Korean team. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> we have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. We love to get questions. We love to get comments. We love to get corrections. We love to get... We don't love to get angry emails, but we'll take them. Yeah, uh, We got a question for today. This question comes from Anders. As an investor who lives in Denmark and who is very interested in owning American companies, what precautions can, should I take? I already have some stock in Berkshire Hathaway. I'm very excited about soon investing in Markel. I've been told that the average investor should only look for companies inside of Denmark because the risks associated with investments abroad have been deemed too risky for their potential superior results. My problem is that Danish-based companies that I find exciting are limited to Novo Nordisk and Maersk which obviously is not enough diversification. Do you find the risks associated with invest investing abroad, currencies, expensive brokerage costs, et cetera, to be worth the potential superior results? Thanks for the question, Anders. Um, let, me, let me start off here. So uh, the first thing I'd say is that as far as the brokerage costs go, that's something you have to keep an eye on. You have to take that into calculation when you're figuring out what the investment opportunity actually is. Is And as far as the currency, the currency risks go, I mean, unless you're talking about like a Venezuela, for instance, most of the time you're going to see the, the currency fluctuations bounce out over time. So that's not something that I particularly worry about. So as far as diversifying outside of your home country, I, I actually think that's really important. And w- the way I kind of think about that is the same as not putting all of your retirement investments into the company that you work for. Yeah. Uh, because if, for instance, all of my investments were in the U.S. were U.S.-based, and then the U.S. went through a recession, I could lose my job because the U.S. is going through a recession, and then all of my investments could be losing money as well. So you get kind of the double whammy. But by diversifying globally, uh, it gives me the it, it gives me some safety, some some balance if the if the U.S. Uh, if something does happen in the U.S. and the U.S. is kind of an interesting example because the U.S. is such a large part of the global economy, so I'd still want a big part of my portfolio yeah. in the U.S. Um, I, I think what you want to do is balance out the ability to better know companies that are in your home country with the, the relative scale of your country uh, with the global economy. The only other thing I'd point out is that it doesn't have to be individual companies. I think Berkshire and Markel are great companies. We've talked about them a lot here. But it can also be a low-cost index fund that you're getting your international exposure through.
1: Yeah, I'd be on the lookout for countries that have pretty good corporate governance, too. You don't want to just sacrifice saying, oh, it sounds like a good story in that country, but they have basically no structure, no legal system Mm -hmm. to protect your rights if you do invest there. So make sure you're investing in a a country that has a good system down already. China? Mm. No comment. (laughs) No comment.
0: Okay, finishing off the day,
1: as we always do in the Twitter sphere, David. First tweet. First tweet is from Annalyn Kurtz. She says... June 2014 marks five years since the Great Recession ended. Here's why you still don't feel recovered. Do you feel recovered? I feel pretty recovered. I I guess GDP is moving up. Yeah. But we're trending below potential GDP. I guess it's some economics term. Yeah. We're
0: we're below full employment, uh, as that's currently calculated by most economists. Um, If you look at the stock market, we're certainly recovered. the economy doesn't look overly healthy. It's not cranking along. But I wouldn't say that I don't feel recovered. The but I'm The article said everybody. the
1: economy would have to grow at 3.5% for a couple of years to reach that full potential back to where the trending should be.
0: Okay. There you go. Just, just a fact. I don't think that couldn't happen. And a nice double negative for you. Second tweet is from Patrick O'Shaughnessy at Millennial Invest. Uh this is so good by
1: at iHeartWallStreet, quote, millennials hate everything. So this is an article that was about the, I guess the, what we're calling them now, or what they're calling them, is robo-advisors, the, the sites online where you can link your account to and they'll manage it for you with index funds. I wanted to get your quick thoughts on this industry. Are you interested in it? It's been raising a lot of venture capital funding to it. But some the article there was saying that there's basically no moat here and that the big banks could easily step in make their own wealth front their own I forget the other name betterment yep and do their own thing so what are your thoughts quick thoughts
0: w- would i invest in one of these companies do you think that's a valid
1: concern if you were one of those small companies <sighs> yeah yeah absolutely
0: i i think you've got to achieve scale and you've got to achieve um brand equity very quickly because there yeah like you said there's there's not a lot of special sauce to that. I mean, maybe maybe I'm talking out of school here because I haven't looked that mm-hmm. closely at these companies, but I don't think there's that much of a special special sauce. There, and there, there's, Mer- three,
1: there's three main companies there, and they only have around 100 total employees for all of them. So it's basically just. Some I wouldn't computers. expect that they'd need more. Good. Mer- I mean, Merrill Edge, E Trade,
0: Schwab could all step in, and uh, and do the same thing. You said I'm
1: not sure. sure I'd third tweet too good. <laughs> all right, third tweet. Dealbook at Dealbook. Time to bid for lunch with Buffett. The annual lunch with Buffett, up for bidding. Yep. You put in your bid yet? I think it's up to like a million dollars already.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll be bidding this year.
1: It goes to a steakhouse, though. You wouldn't
0: even want to go. Uh, sure, I would. To sit down with Warren Buffett, maybe. I'll eat a couple salads. <laughs> I'll eat a yeah. couple salads, maybe a pasta. Says, dish.
1: Pu- says Buffett will discuss anything except his next investments. Okay. Still interested?
0: What about, what about um, succession plans at Berkshire Hathaway? I bet he won't discuss those. Yeah, it's probably a long list of things he won't discuss, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true. All right, final tweet. Final tweet from Gawker. Mayor de Blasio is working to end New York City's long-standing ferret ban. Did
1: you know there was a ban on ferrets <laughs> I York City? did not know that there are not allowed to have a ferret. Why is that? I guess because they're varmints vermin. Vermin. It's ver- <laughs> It's only vermin if you're I guess in the th- old there's west. Con- there's, con- there's
0: concerns get, get these vermin out of here.
1: <laughs> there's concerns that they were they would bite children. Anything could bite a child. Apparently, um, Rudy Giuliani
0: hated ferrets.
1: So he Is banned that,
0: them. Is that That's where the ban comes from? Rudy Giuliani?
1: I think he started it and then Bloomberg said, "Yeah, we'll keep the ferrets." <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, forget ferrets. No we sodas." Don't ferrets? No ferrets. No, soda, no, no fun ferrets. in New York Well, City.
0: I mean, to be fair, if you don't have sodas, how can you have ferrets? You can't. You can't. You need, you need big sodas to go with your ferrets. That's yeah, what we We'll, we'll be
1: making sure we keep an eye on that legislation. I know. It's we'll very be very
0: important. We'll be very stoked if ferrets are, ba- are allowed back into New York City. Very stoked. Those varmin. <laughs> 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 All right. That is the show for today. As always, you can find us on Twitter, at TMF Financials. You can find us on iTunes if you're not already listening in the podcast form. I'm Matt Koppenheffer. This is David, the Varman Hansen. We'll see you next week.